Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 212, The Weasel Wants to Sing. This week we're discussing season 4, episode 12 of Battlestar Galactica, Revelations, and season 7, episode 9 of Buffy, Never Leave Me. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. Revelations. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's kind of a lot of, like, sort of plot stuff going on in this episode. And I think uh, I think we're, we're going to try to keep it sort of maybe skim through some of the earlier stuff. Um, you know, like a lot of the back and forth with the negotiations and whatnot. Um, I mean, there's some interesting stuff that happens there, but really want to focus more on the ending, which is mm-hmm. kind of surprising and disappointing and, mm-hmm. um, you know, talk about sort of uh, all of that. Um, so uh, actually, before we get into that, though, we didn't plan this. Sorry, I'm already <laughs> off script. <laughs> oh, but I was plan. just I was just thinking. When you when I heard you reading the the titles here, that the title, you know, maybe deserves a couple minutes just to talk through real quick. So, um, revelations. Uh, the the sort of obvious thing is the revelation of who the final four are, right? Like mm-hmm. like the broad revelation we already know as viewers, and obviously yeah. the the penultimate four. Um, know themselves who is Cylon um but it's it's the revelation to everybody right Mm -hmm. to to all the humans and and Cylons alike um so that's that's one piece right and I guess you could you could say well that's multiple revelations right because like first it's like Tori who reveals herself to the other Cylons but not to the humans right away um, and then it's Ty who like reveals himself to Adama and then, right. you know, to others. And then there's like, then he reveals who the last two are. Um, right. So there's a series of, so, so there, so that's the plural. On. But I was also wondering if there might not be like another level of a more like biblical revelations mm-hmm. yeah. going on here with the ending. Um, and maybe this is completely obvious and I would just, it's like thick of me to just be like, you know, here, you know, 10 years after I started watching BSG, I finally understand <laughs> the title of this episode. But, um, yeah. And I mean, just like with the apocalyptic sort yeah. of, uh, uh, landscape that they come to at the end, like, it's hard not to like, sort of think like, oh, maybe there's a, a book of revelations thing going on here. Um, sure. Well, and the way that in the series of revelations, it's not just the revelations of who the characters are, but the revelation of a destroyed earth. Like that is a revelation to everybody too. So I think that works with your kind of first meaning. Um, But definitely I would agree about the biblical connotations and the apocalyptic associations Mm -hmm. of that. And scripture is such a huge part of the story too. Yeah, Um, just in general. Even if it's... Just as a notion, I mean, their their books of scripture are not quite the same, but there is the the scrolls of Pythia have a very 
Old Testament feel, and especially in the way that the book of Revelations does, where it's very highly symbolic and it's all about how do you interpret well, and it's not it's not just stories. It's not just Bible stories and tales of old ancient characters and the movement of peoples. But it's also like there's whatever it was, seven snakes and what do they symbolize yeah, yeah. and the eye of Jupiter and that kind of thing. Like that's what the book of Revelation is, is it's all about the Antichrist and the dragon and and these sort of you're not quite sure how literal or how symbolic to take them at any one time. And it's all about how you interpret them. And the fact that, like you said, it's the final book. It's the, it's this, it's the tale of the end times. And the fact that that's where this episode kind of seems to lead them to the end of earth rather than like a new beginning. Right. So um, yeah, I don't know that we need to like, do more than we've already done with that but just kind of wanted to pause for a moment and and talk about that because i know sometimes like it seems like we we do really good like when we're starting a show that we like analyze like the titles and like whatever but then like kind of as we go along we we tend to not Mm -hmm. do as good of a job there so um definitely wanted to bring that up um but yeah as far as sort of like the first kind of the first half of this episode i mean it's a lot of sort of machinations is that right you know call it that like of Mm -hmm. like okay you have like all right deanna's pulled out a cold storage and and or uh whatever they call it uh, unboxed and Mm -hmm. um but now it's like like almost immediately the sort of like power dynamic flips right and she's like okay well now i'm gonna keep all of you hostage and um not let you go back to you know the fleet and um except for adama who which like why didn't she pick like an underling or something like like why adama why like the leader of like the military who can (laughs) like the strategic you know whatever i mean other than like the writers needed him to be back in the fleet for ty's revelation but like Mm. like why is it beneficial to Deanna to have Adama be the one go back. I don't know. Um, I mean, she keeps Rosalind, so maybe she's thinking that she can manipulate his his affections for Rosalind or his I mean, I don't know how much she knows about their relationship, but just the idea of separating them could be useful in coercing them to do things. Um, sure. That's possible. I didn't, I didn't think of that. Um, I'm just thinking like, like she only really needs like a pilot and like an escort to go back. Right. Like sure. it's not right. like, just, like she's just going just back a messenger. Yeah. Right. She's just going back to like, say, Hey, all the, and I mean, I guess if we're asking that question, we could even ask, why does she need to go back at all? Why can't she just say to the messenger, go back and tell your leader, <laughs> this is mm-hmm. what's going on. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's a certain amount of drama to it, so I, you know, it's not, it's not like a terrible thing, just kind of a weird thing, maybe. But, sure. um, yeah. So anyway, so she goes back, kind of sets this ultimatum right before, um, the colonists or colonials, um, who want to become colonists, kind of, interestingly enough, yeah. um, so. 
you know, saying like, hey, we'll let your people go if you just let the penultimate four come, you know, join us on our mm -hmm. spaceship. Um, and it's kind of like, like, yes, it's a hostage situation, but it's kind of like a nice one, right? Like, it's like, we're just holding on to your people until you let our people come to us. And we're like, no, no harm, no foul. Um, and it's, I, I like the, like the sort of deviousness of Tori's, you know, quick, uh, jump at the opportunity to be like, oh, well, I need to bring Rosalind her medicine, right? Like, yeah. like yeah. here, you know, I'm, I should be with her. I need to help her out. Like, like very, you know, that very concerned, um, uh, you know, assistant kind of mm -hmm. feel to it of, of, you know, I'm worried about my mentor and mm -hmm. need to like help, help and make sure that she has everything she needs. Yeah. Um, Right, is, and how and how that turns when she gets there into her. Sure. You know, because I think, like, I think we have seen, I don't think Tori's always seemed a, like a duplicitous character. We've seen, like, a real connection between her and Rosalind and actual loyalty there. But then, I mean, I guess more recently... Mm -hmm. That relationship has become more tense and the way Rosalind's treated her has not yes. always been charitable in more recent episodes. Well, so to suddenly have that turn that. into the like, um, like, yeah, here's your medicine, but um, I'm handing in my notice effective immediately and I don't like work for you anymore. And like just the way like Rosalind's kind of arrogance gets handed to her. Yeah. And that she thinks she can just count on this unquestioning loyalty from Tori that um yeah. isn't well, isn't the case. Um and not just because she's a Cylon, but partially I think because of the way Rosalind's maybe abused that relationship a little yeah. bit. Like so there's some it's not just like, oh, I'm a Cylon and I'm evil now. It's like maybe if Rosalind had treated her a little differently as regards to the Baltar stuff, yep. um, Tori wouldn't be quite so eager to like sever that relationship as she does here. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. And I mean, yeah, I mean, we, well, we saw Rosalind obviously was not very, like you said, very charitable um, in that. Um, yeah. So on the other like, hand, like to, like Tori, she says, "Tori, sit down." She says, "Like, Whoa. yeah, like it's just that moment of like." Right, there's a way where she could have said that, where it like would have seemed like, even if she was pretending, where it would have seemed like caring, like, "No, no, sit down." Like, I have your medicine for you, but it's mm -hmm. it's nope, sit down. Like, it's a I'm I'm yeah. in I'm in charge now. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'll be like you know, with Callie, you know, we saw Tori's viciousness so it's not mm -hmm. like you said like it's not like it's it's a new thing per se but it's you know with with re with the revelation comes sort of for her a uh I don't, i'm not sure what to call it like a, a confidence or or a you know chutzpah <laughs> that like she didn't have maybe before and or or maybe she had but was sort of hiding or, or dampening 
-hmm. in some way. Um, Right. Right. She's not pretending anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. and she's the only one kind of unambiguously embracing this new role. Like the others are still hiding. And like you said, there's a shuttle going, I'm getting on that shuttle and maybe she'll lie to get on there and make sure she gets over there safely. But as soon as the opportunity comes up, like you said, she's ready to go with her new people, like she says. Yeah. Um, and the big smile on her face when they kind of recognize and greet her, that this, this sense of coming home or, or having some sort of identity crisis resolved yeah. and this fulfillment of, like, she's where she belongs now. Yeah. Yeah, there is, there's sort of a reveling in, like, her newfound fame, right? Like, which isn't even, like, like, it's all, it's just sort of, like, those few immediate Cylons who are in the room. Like, it's not even, like, word has necessarily spread at this point about Mm -hmm. her, right? Um, So, yeah. Um, The other, so the other side of the coin, though, to Tori leaving is you get sort of the power struggle between her and Ty mm-hmm. of like Ty also trying to like lie, but lie to keep her there. Right. It's like, like will her to stay. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> or not lie, but like, yeah. Using sort of like false pretenses to get, yeah. To, to prevent her from leaving, um, you know, specifically by, you know, saying like, Oh, we, we shouldn't give them more hostages. Mm-hmm. Um, which is also sort of like a valid point, but then it becomes like it's like a military thing versus like a compassionate thing, right? Like, or you know, a perceived compassionate thing from like the perspective of Lee, um, and you know, and and the various decision makers. So she she is of course then allowed to go, um, mm-hmm. and even like. Like, even probably Adama's heartstrings a bit get pulled there, right? Because it's, you know, I mean, it's it's Laura, right? Like, it's, mm-hmm. you know, she needs her medicine. And is he really going to not let Tori go get give medicine to, like, the woman he just confessed his love to? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which Tori doesn't know about that part of it, necessarily. But, you know, mm-hmm. it, it works to her favor, for sure regardless mm-hmm. of, of whether she knows. Um, so, I, yeah, I just find that, like, sort of the interplay there between Tori and Ty, like, like, like that thing of, you know, like, two people looking at each other significantly, like, don't do it. I'm going to do it. Don't do yeah. it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> and, um, especially Ty, especially with that eye patch, like, his, the amount of emotion he gets in with his single eye, you know, like, the way he can just like make his eye go very round and like stare at somebody with secret meaning and everything. Um, yeah. It's just a trip. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, so, of course, speaking of Ty, though, like, like he does try to keep Tori from going, but also it's not very long until then he confesses. So, and I I forget exactly how it, like, what else happens between 
the two, but it's like, I guess, I don't know, a crisis of conscience, you know, more than anything else where he. he right. Suddenly... I mean, I guess it's more when Deanna starts, it goes from the friendly hostage situation, like you said, to. Oh, right. We're right, going right. to start executing people. I guess it's. Right. I mean, to Ty's credit, that's kind of what does it, I guess, is that lives are going to start to be lost and he finally does what he thinks so, he was should have been doing this whole time and just comes clean. So here's a question. Do you think Deanna actually killed someone or do you think I she was know. just saying that? They never really they never really say one way or the other. I, I mean, I kind of feel like she did because she says she did, and they don't ever. I feel like maybe if it was a bluff, there would have been another revelation at the end that she had been bluffing, and there kind of isn't. It's just sort of sure dropped. It, I but, guess, um, but it, I don't know for sure. I would like to think that she's bluffing, but and maybe it's just I don't know. It, it feels like maybe it's just a a plotting problem or something. Like hmm. like it just seems like too quick to go from like hey, we're going to let, you know, them come back on their own. And then it's like, oh, by the way, I just killed someone and I'm going to start killing people every half hour. It's, I just, it's just killed like the that. first prisoner that I didn't warn you I was going yeah, to it, Yeah, it just has that, like, it's like, well, that escalated quickly, right? <laughs> right. Like, right. Um, you know, tone to it, but. Right. And I don't, I don't disagree with that, but I think it, the, the this escalated quickly aspect of it, I feel like does play into something larger which is the kind of fact that like this so-called alliance how like fragile that is you know and sure. they get back to that at the end too like even after they find the route to earth and everybody's friends again and we're going together it's very much done with a sense of like we have to do this fracking now or else like the whole thing is going to fall apart yeah. um and if we hesitate in any way that could mean more hostilities so this has to be done as quickly as possible and the fact that that hangs over the ending like well you know now that the ending doesn't earth doesn't pan out the way we thought what does that mean for this very fragile alliance which is only barely sort of hanging by a mm -hmm. thread so you know plotting issue aside of is that a plausible way for Deanna to handle things. I feel like it does at least kind of gesture at that idea of how tentative this whole thing is and how quickly it could escalate into like violence all over again. Yeah. Even though they're supposed to be kind of allies at this point. Right. Um, so yeah, so you're right. The, the escalation is, I think what, um, sort of prompts Ty then, you know, first to sort of agonize and then like give his sort of long-winded confession to Adama, right, about who he is and, and how he's one of the Cylons. Um, and, and Adama's sort of like, you know, quick attempts to rationalize or like, uh, mm -hmm. uh, debunk you know ty's confession uh, or, or ty's understanding of who he is 
of like, oh no, they brainwashed you. They did something, you know, when you were on New Caprica and mm-hmm. were being held prisoner. And it like, it just does not fit, which, you know, Ty may be the one with the eye patch, but Adama's the one with the big blind spot, you know, uh, <laughs> Because a shaped blind spot. <laughs> it, yeah. it is kind of a tie. <laughs> and it just does not fit with like Adama's yeah. understanding of Thai. Like there mm-hmm. you know, this does not compute and and um he just can't seem to understand it. But yeah, I mean Thai, you know, and it I mean for all his like military sensibility and stuff, I mean Thai's kind of a drama queen, right? Mm-hmm. Like I mean, the only, the, only, the only thing that will save us is for me to give myself up and throw me out the fracking airlock, right? <laughs> like, you know, th- like this is the, literally the, he, he's both savior and sacrifice, like at the right. same time, right? Like, right, right. Um, well, and in a way, I never thought about it like this, but is this like the only, in a way, is this kind of him taking his chance when he sees it like Tori of like as much as this is like devastating for Adama like is this the only way for Ty to confess in a way that feels like heroic like I'm not I didn't get get caught like you didn't like catch me in anything and I'm not confessing and getting like a trial or like treated like a traitor or something or treated like boomer like what if he like killed somebody this is like i get to go down like the hero who sacrificed himself for the good of the fleet and to save lives and like a, a way of confessing with a shred of dignity possibly like well and there is also an a sort of uh parallel to the whole concept of the circle too right which was sure back in the airlock yeah yeah well not only that but the confessionary part right like it Mm -hmm. was like because because that was the thing right like we don't we only we only kill people if it's like unanimous and we know they're guilty right like so this is this is his confession and 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 the punishment should be getting shoved out an airlock because that's what he was doing to other people like that's a good point um there's sort of a a parallel there um Mm -hmm. and what he's kind of been struggling with ever since he killed ellen is that idea of he gave her the capital punishment but himself and others have got away with these crimes that they should have been punished the same way and she's the one who actually he punished so there's that slight if not a full death wish at least at least like well this is just like you said for the crimes of who he is and what he's done and this is only fair because this is how we this is what we do to traitors and cylons mm-hmm. yeah. um, so it does feel like him kind of like in a way jumping at the chance like this is the way to go about it in a way that feels which just and proper and not like shameful which like how noble is something that you do if you only do it because you think it's the noble thing to do right like right, right. like there is sort of a, a irony there's a selfish to aspect to it yeah. yeah right like i'm right right um 
Like there are less noble ways that he's been rejecting all along. He, right. Like he said, I should have confessed when I first found out. I should have thrown myself out the airlock. He didn't do those things. Yeah. You know? Um, he wants to live like anybody else, you know? Like all the other people who have been Cylons and not confessed up, you know? Like he's not necessarily different from them that like he's trying to survive. Um, at least up until this point when he sees a more dignified or heroic way of going out that keeps his kind of, I think, if not his reputation, at least some of his kind of nobility intact and everything. Yeah. And people are still saying, like, Lee is still saying, like, no one suspected, not with his record, not with he did not with what he did on New Caprica, his eye, what happened to his wife. And it's like, when are you going to learn? None of that matters. Like in the mini series, they were saying any one of us could be a Cylon. And here it is like four seasons later and they still don't know anybody, you know, it doesn't matter what your record is. It doesn't matter how much you like a given person. Like that actually is not a good predictor of who could be silenced because they don't think they still maybe don't see the silence as people. Um, yeah. So people that we like for whatever reason or respect um, don't get the same suspicion that everybody else does. Um. So, so we mentioned like Adama's sort of initial reaction, which is to to try to debunk or, or refute uh, Ty's revelation. Um, Denial always the first kind. Yeah, of... and then there's like the sinking into the bottle, um, right? Which is, I don't know. I, every time like Adama gets drunk, it always seems a little farcical to me. Mm. Um. I don't know why. Like, I don't, like, that's a thing that happens. People get sad and they drink a lot and mm -hmm. no things. But, um, but I don't know. It, it, maybe it's, maybe it's an actor thing. Maybe it's just kind mm -hmm. of like, whatever. I don't, but his sort of like falling around and like Lee coming in and mm -hmm. whatever. It, it, it just does, it seems a little, off to me um mm -hmm. but yeah i mean not not the first time you sort of again you know gotten drunk or whatever so i don't know that it's yeah i mean it, it's in an actorly sense it's quite big you know like the way it's played um is very he's playing to the back row um mm -hmm. as they say so yeah, and maybe big histrionics are not Eddie Olmos's strong suit. Um, sure. And it's one of those things that I'm not quite sure. Is it uncomfortable because it's not very convincing? Or is it because it's supposed to be, you know? Mm. Like, this is like seeing, like, you know, your dad totally have a breakdown and it like am i uncomfortable because he's not quite
quite playing it right or because like you don't like the idea of the admiral completely like going to pieces um i'm not quite no i think it's an acting thing it might like, be for an me, acting thing yeah and for it me, might be. i don't i don't I, I mean i don't again like i don't necessarily think it's out of character it just kind of feels weird mm -hmm. here and so i guess that means i think it's an acting thing but i guess mm -hmm. I, I don't i mean i'm not like we don't have to spend a ton of time on it it just kind of seems off to me but i'm not yeah i don't i also don't think it's like a hugely important scene in the show so we can sure you know move on <laughs> yeah i mean other than just confirming what we've <clears throat> known from the beginning is this this tie-shaped hole that in some ways like tie being a cylon is in some ways worse than almost any other character for Adama. Um, you know, which I don't think is new information, but it certainly, the fact that that hits him as hard as it does, I think confirms what we've known from the beginning, which is like, Ty is just on this complete pedestal um, for whatever reason, where Adama's concerned. So it's kind of reinforcing that. Yeah. Um, so, yep, but yeah, we don't have to, don't have to dwell on it. Um, okay, so Ty confesses, um, and they, they use that as leverage, right? Like, Lee's like, okay, well, you can shoot people if you want, but if you do, we're going to throw Ty out the airlock. And of course, Deanna knows that he's one of the mm -hmm. remaining four, um, the remaining three of the penultimate four um, of the final five. And so, uh, <laughs> sorry, you just had to kind of throw that in. Um, you know, so that, that becomes a point of contention, but also like stays her hand, which is kind of what Ty wanted, right? Like, hey, if, mm -hmm. if you know, people are being killed, then maybe my confession will prevent that or stop that somehow um and you can use me as as your you know bait or bargaining chip or whatever um but then he also rats out tyrell and sam um which i don't i mean i don't know like he kind of does that easily enough right like like right, he kind of he, resists. It, like I don't have to tell you it, but then he like caves like a scene later. This, this is like the guy who <laughs> lost an eye to not reveal, you know, right. stuff about the the, you know, uh, resistance on New Caprica. But here it's like a stern look from Lee <laughs> makes that weasel sing. Um, Lee of all people, right? Um, exactly. Yeah. Uh so you know again like maybe maybe just for like the plotting you know to mm -hmm. maybe there are a few slaps around you know off screen. <laughs> um Yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh maybe uh a racetrack came in and played the bad cop um or something. Like <laughs> uh I feel like that would be that would be her role, right? Um Right. I don't know. 
but yeah, I, can I, see it. I, I don't know. I mean, so that's fine. Like he, he rats out Tyrrell and Sam and, um, I mean, we'll get to Starbuck in a minute, but like they're in the middle of like trying to get her. You know, so we did actually, we didn't mention the music cause that's where that mm-hmm. comes in. And I feel like, and sorry, I, I wish I, I knew a little bit better. I don't remember if that comes in before or after his confession. But I kind of feel like it. Maybe it's a it's a part that plays into like, because mm-hmm. like for him, it's if that if that came in before, then it's like that's the prompt, right? Like it's it's almost like the music is telling them there's something else you need to do. Like there's a way that you can resolve this. It's like mm-hmm. it's almost making the the penultimate four like the diplomatic contingent of like not quite telling them what needs to be done, but at least like letting them know that something does need to be done and that there's, and, and that they have to kind of figure it out for themselves. And, mm-hmm. and so for Ty, it's the confession for Tyrrell and Sam, it's trying to figure out what's different about this Viper that Starbuck had brought back. And then, you know, trying to convince her to, to look at it, um, mm-hmm. before they get arrested. Um, their reactions too are very telling. So like if you mm-hmm. get like we have Tori where it's like the revelation, you know, kind of turns her in a not unsurprising, you know, way to be a little more bold and and cutthroat maybe. Um Ty it's it's you know, like you it's that stalwart, you know, upright like I'm I'm being noble I'm being ignobly noble or, or nobly <laughs> ignoble or, or one of those things, right? Yeah. Um, Tyrrell gets that sort of sardonic grin. That little uh, smirk. Yeah, yeah, right. And it was only a matter of time, you know? Right. Like, and this, this is how everything goes. I mean, that's the perfect sort of knuckle dragger grunt, you know, mm-hmm. uh, his parents were, you know, priests, but he's kind of not a true believer kind of look right like mm-hmm. yep this is this is how the world works just when mm-hmm. you know you're trying to trying to do something good and someone rats you out like mm-hmm. leave it leave it to the man you know to knock right. you down <laughs> um right right sam <laughs> sam is always so like kind of starstruck and like surprised like for his yeah. like for like the battle-hardened rebel that he is, and like, a celebrity, and and like a celebrity and stuff, yeah. Well, like, I don't know. Actually, the celebrity part kind of goes along with it because I feel like there is a certain naivete of like, oh, sure. what? Not everyone has the privileges I have. Sure, you know, to it. So may, maybe sure. it's a little, little sheltered, maybe. Yeah, maybe it's not quite as off as as all that when you put it that way. I I was thinking more of like. Yeah, this is like a guy who like was running around in jungles and fighting Cylons and and like mm-hmm. but like yet he like is surprised when like he's ratted out by Ty and mm-hmm. you know it, but just like you know it's also the juxtapositions cuz it's you know they're kind of complete ends of the spectrum mm-hmm. of of his sort of naive like what who me and and Tyrrell's you know very like yep Right. I knew it was coming. Just right. was waiting I told for you. it to happen. Right. right. Um, so it's kind of a kind of a funny yeah, sort of juxtaposition there. Um 
Yeah, and you know, I like other than just more bargaining chips, like that 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 just kind of plays itself out um, as far as their kidnapping, and it it ends up being Starbuck who's the real sort of hero here, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and eventually, after sort of scouring for Viper that she returned with, um, discovers that it's picking up a signal. Uh, presumably from Earth, although we don't necessarily know. Now the question, right? So here's There's a my, lot of um, jumping to conclusions in the, uh, you know, in the end of the home stretch of this episode, as yeah. the, as they're intended to do, and as as we I think are meant sure. to go right along with it and say like jumping oh, to obviously conclusions. it's this, and this means that, and this is what we were meant to find all along, and this is what the significance is, and all that. But but like that's also like the revelatory aspect, right? Like, mm-hmm. like no, I know this is like it's being revealed to me that like this is the thing, um, right? Revelation in a sense of like something divine inspiration that comes to you sort of from your own connection to something, rather than right finding it from more empirical means i guess sure um now here's the question so the signal right Mm -hmm. is it is it residual from like the nuclear war like like what is the Mm -hmm. signal like because it's clearly not like it doesn't seem to be like a beacon in the sense of like a distress beacon yeah like yeah or just even like a, a satellite that's like left over from civilization right like like it at least they never they never really say what it was, but like mm-hmm. no, that's a nice idea. Like I, I wonder, like yeah, if it's like you know, this is light years away, and and it's just like the the noise from that nuclear holocaust that you mm-hmm. know we later see when we get to Earth, um, right? Yeah, that that ends up being the signal there. Yeah, no, that's a. That's a, a nice idea, I think. Um, yeah, and I don't know if they ever... I don't remember. We'll have to see in the next episode if they come back to confirming or denying that. Um, but mm-hmm. I like that idea. Um, all right. So they get the signal, and Starbuck kind of plays the di- diplomat and, and gets people talking again. Um and of course, Lee finds a peaceful solution, you know, to help everyone out and, and pardons the penultimate four. Um, and they come, you know, they, they come to an agreement with Deanna and, and the other Cylons to, you know, sort of travel to Earth together and uh, mm-hmm. see what's going on. Um, and like, can I just mention too, we don't have to, stay too long on it but the the role that um baltar plays in the negotiations as well sure as like the guy who talks deanna down from like baltar speaking to which i feel like it was he was one of the first ones to voice it that i that notion of the blood for blood cycle has to end someday he's Mm -hmm. coming back to that again here of saying um there's another 
way and to break the cycle, which is interesting to kind of hear again from Ros or not Rosalind, Deanna, that, well, not just revenge, but the fear of they'll never forgive us for what we did. So that's why I'm playing hardball on these things. So it's not just, I don't forgive the humans for what they did, but now it's the fear of, well, they're never going to forgive us. And like, that is part of being stuck in the cycle um, of this never ending vengeance. And it's interesting that it's Baltar is, you know, the one who's not the only negotiator, but one of the, the ones who's kind of the voice of that. Which makes sense as he's had feet in both camps and lived among both of them and has a relationship with Deanna, that he is one of the ones who can actually talk some of that sense into her. Sure. Um, all right. So, but, you know, they, they go and, and they travel together and, and they reach Earth. They, they find her finally. Yay. But wait. Oh, no. Earth is terrible. Um, so, yeah. And, and before we get to the terribleness, too, like, I want to emphasize, like, the way that the arrival like is milked for like sure every warm fuzzy feeling that it's worth right like right. this is a culmination of the entire story T so right Tiro with nikki and you know adama's right. speech sort His of sort speech. of mirroring the speech from way back i guess in the in the miniseries right like mm -hmm. of you know, I said three years ago what we would, you know, we would find Earth and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. total, total milking. You're right. <laughs> in a good way, you know, like. Sure. Well, and it in a good way until you find out that Earth is a nuclear wasteland. Well, not good for the characters, but I think. Oh, like well it, done and and it, it's like if you if you stop and think about it and i don't really remember how much i was analyzing this at the time to know how much i bought it but like you the the fact that this is coming halfway through the final season has to be conspicuous you know of like this seems like this should be the end of the story this is the culmination and sure. then suddenly we're there sooner than we should be in a way and but i think the fact that they go so far towards making it such a triumphant moment lulls you into right feeling the well the the triumph and the happiness of that and the music is so beautiful and swells and everybody's so happy and cheerful and everything and um and there is that sense so like a couple things because like I don't, I mean, I don't remember like the time signature or whatever on, on the, you know, how much is left in the episode when Starbuck actually finds the coordinates and, and convinces everyone that this is the way to Earth. But there's, there's a couple ways that it could play out. One is like, I mean, up until that point, you're like, someone watching this isn't necessarily expecting like Earth to be the thing. Like, even in this episode, you're not expecting 
Earth to be the thing that they arrive at. And so, like, mm-hmm. the last right third or so of the episode. Right, so, and suddenly it's like, oh, we're going there now. Yeah. Yeah. But also, the skeptic in me, like, is like, okay, maybe this is more of a COBOL situation, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we think it's Earth, but maybe it's another planet they colonized on the way to Earth. Mm-hmm. And... You know, like, before they actually go down and, like, see what it's like, like, but then they, they sort of wave that away, too, and it's, mm. you get Gata, like, make, make sure, you know, do it slow and right and make sure right. that it's good, and, and yep, it matches the constellations right from Cobalt that we had gotten there from when we had, you know, been, you know, way back when we got that sort of first signpost um on the way to earth so so like there's even that like of like what what's even if you're thinking at that point like what's the catch it's like well no that gets waved away like right no no it really is earth like it's not it's not just a fake you know thing where we're gonna say oh we thought it was earth but it just happens to be another like Right. Habitable planet like New Caprica, like, right. you know, Cobalt. Um, right. You can kind of almost feel that kind of like, everybody, this is Earth. We, you got that, right? Like, we're making this very clear. Yeah. So when when they do go down, and like, and then of course, like, the the trick of the camera of seeing their facial reactions of surprise but realizing it's not good surprise, it's mm-hmm. like, or, you know, I guess that actually the first thing you see is um, Adama and the soil, like his hand, right? And the soil with like the Geiger counter and... <laughs> Geiger counter, not a good, not a good yeah. sign. Well, right. And then I'm sitting there thinking like, wait, they didn't take like readings before they got off the ships? Like, could right. they not like... Right. Like, are... No. Caution is thrown well and truly thrown to the wind at this point. They're so excited. Well, and and then, uh, I mean, you could let that thought go even further of like, okay, well, you've got six and who's pregnant, right? Like, mm-hmm. and being exposed to like all this radiation and stuff. Yeah. Um, although, right. you know, I, you know, who, who knows at this point, maybe it's a safe amount of radiation, I guess. I, I don't know. Um, but it is just kind of funny that there's yeah um, all of that going on. But but like I, I do really like actually the the way the sort of cinematic way that it plays out um, mm-hmm. with the reveal of like the looks on their faces and then the sort of slow panning around from you know each member of the sort of an ensemble, right, of, you know, both Colonials and mm-hmm. um, Cylons and, and kind of getting each of their reactions. Um, and I, I said to you kind of before we started talking, um, obviously very different situationally, but from a just sort of strict uh, uh, cinematography aspect, there is... a. I, I found it really interesting watching this time um, and, and kind of really has a similar to feel of that opening scene of lost of just mm-hmm. like, 
there's destruction and confusion and uh, uh, disappointment and like, you know, whatever other emotions you want to throw in there. Um, and of course there's like the beach and, and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not Hawaii, of course, like this is like a barren nuclear landscape, but like, right. But the, you the know, wreckage of, yeah, that, that whole, yeah, that whole sort of idea of, um, you know, the way that it's done, um, very, very interesting. And, and with the, like the long drawn out take, mm -hmm. um, even almost sort of like Whedon-esque in, in, mm -hmm. in a certain fashion with some of his, uh, his shots that he's done. Um, right. And it is a, a single take, I think from like Adama's I, hand through to the final, like pan over the yeah. horizon and everything. Either um, that or like really good editing, like <laughs> yeah, right, right, um, right. So yeah. yeah, and and with the loss comparison, the the silence of it, the fact that mm -hmm. it's sort of other than Adama's Earth, <laughs> you know, like his very depressed, like you know, like this is what we've been looking right. for this whole time, um, which also calls to Rosalind saying like well is it in this episode where she says I want you to be the first one to pick up that fistful of earth and like there he is with his oh, fistful of earth uh, um is it I can't remember one? if it's this remember. or in a different episode um but you know so the irony of that but like sure. after that there's no like the shock is conveyed just through their expression and no no right. dialogue and and I I enjoy watching it to see how they're all different too, you know. Mm -hmm. Like Tyrrell still has that little smirk on his face, like, "Yep, this is what I thought," you know. Like this is just like add it to the list of things that are disappointments in life. <laughs> um, and he kind of shaking his head and laughing to himself, like this is all like a big joke. Um, yeah. Which does play into his character but that's certainly i think a growing part of his character like oh yeah you know i mean he's always been the everyman kind of realist but the that cynical part of him yeah. just keeps getting stronger and stronger i mean that can happen to you when you sure. you know find out you're a cylon and your wife you know leaves apparently you kills and you herself get, yeah you, you, yeah. Right, kills herself and and you get demoted and Yes, no, you know, it makes like, perfect sense. Yeah. Um, um yeah. yeah, no, and then that's the good I think um there's a good writing there of his the gradual descent into kind of bitterness and cynicism that mm. you know we see from him. Um but he's the only one seeing any sort of humor in it at all. Even though it's like a kind of dark gallows humor, everybody else is depressed, but in like slightly varying ways. Like, sure, you know, some of them are kind of reaching out to each other to, to maybe look for some comfort and others are just like staring blankly, you know, like completely mm -hmm. lost in the horizon and their own thoughts and isolated. What? Yeah, um, it's it's that kind of like um being frozen by trauma in a way. Mm -hmm. I mean there it's not 
physical trauma kind of in the same way that lost has physical trauma but it Mm -hmm. but it is that sort of mental trauma of this is not what like like not even i I almost said it's not what we expected but it's like not even like it's beyond expectation it's just like this is completely foreign to anything i ever would have dreamt up Mm -hmm. (laughs) um as far as like where they were hoping and and what they were looking to do Mm -hmm. right um all right so i don't i mean they're they're on earth i mean presumably like i mean again we get the verification of the constellations but i mean i suppose there's still that possibility that there could be something else going on and and clearly there's even if it is Earth, like there's clearly need for some kind of explanation to understand what happened there mm-hmm. and why there's, you know, rampant nuclear destruction and, and all of that. Um, right, right. But like, we don't have those answers yet. So, <laughs> no. Um, maybe, I, so just in the last few minutes here, though did want to talk about um i think we brought it up before or or i i don't it's hard for me to remember sometimes what we talk about like sort of off Mm -hmm. stage and on stage um so to speak but uh as far as the you know sort of what's going on in like the real world our world um Mm -hmm. at this point um we should talk about the writer's strike because mm-hmm. um, I don't, I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't do any real research on this um, and I probably should have, but um, was this the last episode or was there like one more that they had written like uh, right before the strike? And, and it was like, I mean, obviously this is the, the mid season, but mm-hmm. like there was some real question about, whether the show would even continue beyond this point, right? Like, right, right. Well, I I think that um, they had written one more, um, but it hadn't been produced when the when the strike happened. Because um, so maybe they had just started work on the second half of the of the season when the strike happened. So this was the last to be completed, like in production. Um, and I think the fear was if the strike goes on long enough, the network could cancel the show. Um, so I think in theory, they had a, a season, the other half of the season still to complete, but the, the you know, Sci-Fi Channel or the studio or whoever it was that decides these things um, for financial reasons could have decided to surprise, you know, to, to revoke that, the, the order of those episodes. Um, So there was a potential that this could be the last thing to ever get shot and made for the series, Um, which I think plays into the way at least some people um, theorize the series might end that like, I think those speculations were out there of what if it, it's been such a dark and gritty show. What if, the ending is a despairing one. Um, Mm -hmm. And so in some ways 
you could say if it had got canceled that it could have worked as a very dark ending for the show like I don't know if that's the ending I would prefer you know but I think there are those out there that that was kind of well what they had in mind or at least a possibility and we'll get to the actual ending at some point here and we can talk about whether some people might prefer this whether it's any better yeah um Right. right Um, so yeah you know, and that yeah like the, and there is a kind of rightness at least to the thematics of it um whether or not you think this is the where the narrative should end definitely it works as a as a kind of ending with this idea of the you know this cyclical destruction of mm these worlds the idea that all of these civilizations end the the same way um and the idea that we can have all the faith and follow all the signs and be courageous and keep going but there's always going to be that that you know that struggle at the end that there kind of aren't any happy endings in this world and for these characters and everything Hmm. um yeah, that would think, be a very dark note to end on, but it wouldn't be wholly inappropriate, I don't think. No, but also like there's also the red herring though of um is it is it Lee who interrupts I forget who you, you know when it's when when you when someone starts with the mantra of you know this has all happened before and Lee's like but it doesn't happen to ha- have to happen again. Like there's that right. like the hopeful right. yeah. Lee but then it's like oh but it kind of like right yeah right and i guess if it had ended here that would be the the conclusion in a way of of you know which i don't think invalidates the courage or the hope of the characters necessarily but it does kind of send you know a, a message about the cyclical nature of time and history and humanity and the fact that these things recur because of these grudges between groups of people that can't let their old feuds go. Sure. Um, So, you know, it's not the end of the story. So, you know, there's still some, there's still some hope and we can like kind of hang on to what Lee says, but, um, yeah, that uh, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm not glad. I, I, you know, of course, I wish I had watched the show live so I could have been part of the discussion at the time and the speculation and everything. But I can imagine the anxiety of a year wait, not knowing for sure if the show would come back, and having that extended, not just like two months break, but like a full year between when this ends and when. Yeah you know, the second half of the season picks up and everything. Um, yeah. Oh, and that was the other thing too, from a like production point of view, I wanted to mention was after the writer's strike ended, it had gone on long enough and they kind of had some time before they were, they weren't just going to be able to start production because we don't have any scripts written, you know, it's like we only have one. So we like need some time to write things before we, mm bring actors to sets and do that kind of thing 
so they had like a retreat um like a writer's retreat to kind of like all right we need to like recalibrate and without knowing specifics of what their plans may have been I know that there was some recalibrating of if not the plot at least like kind of general mission statements of what do we want to do in the final sure half of the season I remember Ron Moore talking about writing on like a whiteboard like it's the characters stupid like like okay let's not get too bogged down in the plot aspects of you know which I like the first half of the season but maybe it got a bit um sidetracked at times with like following all the breadcrumbs to how do we get to earth and um yeah Ron Moore kind of realizing all right we have whatever 10 episodes left or something it's about like why people care is about what happens to the characters um right and in a way finding earth frees you to do that like we're not looking for earth anymore we don't have a roadmap now like which we've had since the beginning Mm -hmm. so in a way the last half of the season just becomes about what do we do now um as characters you know so i mean we can talk about whether or not we feel like they were successful in that but i think that sounds like that was a worthy kind of thing to sit down and think about and take if you have an extended break you might as well take the opportunity to really think about the direction of the show and is it going to conclude in a way that's satisfying right Well, we will get to that discussion eventually. Yes. Um, but for now, let's turn our discussion over to uh, to Buffy. So this is the second of our like four Buffy episode marathon stretch. This right? is second. It's the like second number number two of four. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Um. So. We left off. Uh, we left off with before Giles. with uh, Giles. Yeah, kind of in a precarious. Um, Who you said we would see? I did don't. not say that. <laughs> I believe I said you strongly implied. I believe I said perhaps <laughs> we will see him. See, and, and you're like, perhaps we will see him in the beginning of the episode. What you didn't say is perhaps we won't see him at all in this episode. That is also a perhaps. And that was misleading. Um, <laughs> and per, per, yeah, Perhaps so, we'll see him in the next episode. Perhaps we'll never see him again. Perhaps we won't. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps he got beheaded off screen and we will never find out what happens to Giles. I don't think so, but... You never know. Um, all right. We're not going to quite jump to the Watchers Council yet. No. Um, but we do get some stuff from them. Um, mm-hmm. But. Um, Although we two, actually we actually didn't put anything in there to, to talk about them in relation to Giles. But we should do that when we get there. Yes. When we get to them, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, <clears throat> so I uh, wanted to kind of start with. Andrew, um, who is sauntering down the road in his 
spike-like coat. So it actually occurred to me. Um, I don't. I don't know if you follow Tom Lank, who who plays Andrew on social media at all. But I'm have sure you if seen? I do or not. Have you seen like his? Like it's become kind of a big thing now, where he does like the most ridiculous like budget like versions of like celebrity outfits and stuff. Mm -hmm. Have you seen any of these? I don't think so. Oh, it's just it's hilarious. But like he's been doing it well over a year or maybe even two years now at this point, where it's just like I you know like red carpet stuff. Like someone will be in like some weird you know get up or whatever and he'll like get like cray paper and you know plastic wrap and like make his version of it and he calls it the link look and like like look l-e-w-q like like a very like and it's just like bizarre and it gets it gets you know a lot i don't i'm still trying to figure out how he's got to be monetizing it because you know he must be somehow (laughs) but like it's just like but like it it like occurred to me watching this like this is the start of that. Like Andrew dressing up as yeah. Spike is like the start of Tom Lank's, you know, current hobby of, you know, making yeah. these ridiculous looking versions of, you know, celebrity outfits. Um, and is it intentionally on Andrew's part um, a- an homage to Spike? Or is this just like I think so. what Andrew thinks is cool? I mean, um, I think both. Yeah. I, I think it's, he thinks Spike is cool. Right. And so he's going to try to dress up like him. Right. Um, and I, can't, I mean. Can I, can I, can I have to work? Can I just walk around for a while in my coat? Yeah. And, and I think, so without guidance of like actual Warren and Jonathan too, there's also sort of a like. Andrew unleashed. Yeah. Andrew just trying <laughs> to like figure out what it means to be like a villain and. Of course, right. it's copycatting something because, like, he doesn't it's, have an original. It's thought copycatting, of and it's like playing dress up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he doesn't. He couldn't be a a evil mastermind because he doesn't have a mind really of his own. Like he, mm. everything that he's done since day one has been on orders or mimicking someone else. Like, mm-hmm. and that's still the case here. Really, I mean, he's. It's just not. Jonathan and Warren for real it's it's well the first as we find out in the episode right right um so yeah right um yeah so let's talk about him and uh Jonathan like as you uh, maybe a little bit hinted and uh, probably I guessed and most people guessed like knowing that the bad guy can manifest different characters you know when when Jonathan goes down you kind of know that's not, that's not the end of Danny Strong at least even if it's <laughs> right. not truly Jonathan um yeah. and again you know it's just like we've talked about it before but it is just fun how the personality adopts the different personas that it's mimicking mm-hmm. um uh, you know, the kind of the way that that it as Jonathan accepts like blame for the fact that it didn't go well. Like, you know, it's my fault, you know. Um what does he say? Um I can't find the quote now. 
um, he's little and anemic. Like those are like that's the reason that the sacrifice right. didn't work. Like, right, he didn't like, have oh, enough blood in his body. You need to like, but this is its way of convincing Andrew to keep doing it, to keep killing. Is like, well, it was Jonathan was like a crappy sacrifice. Like mm-hmm. you know, it's not that it's wrong to do or that it's not going to work at all or that you're the problem. It's that like, well, Jonathan was like a subpar, you know, source of magical blood magic. Um, so yeah, I just like the way it kind of always like adopts the personality that it sort of needs in that situation. Um, whereas Andrew's, trying at least if we keep trying to give Andrew and Jonathan the better of the doubt he's at least trying to kind of say like I'm not going to do that anymore no more killing um he can't sacrifice the the piglet that um that he's supposed to although that's like uh, more out of incompetence I think than sure than will moral uh, yeah yeah or right um, moral no whatever so um so it's off to the butcher shop and um it is funny the way he like slips like <laughs> eight, eight pints of pig's blood in amongst this like grocery list of other things yeah which makes you wonder like and like the is one that thing they don't that, have is toothpaste <laughs> is that like something that butcher shops actually do like do they give out like animal blood like i don't know um, not give out but like sell it like i mean I mean, that is not something I know about. So. Yeah, I, like, that's what, I'm just like, oh, okay. I mean, apparently Sunnydale uh, yeah. butcher shops do. But. Well, maybe there's a high demand for it in Sunnydale, you know, all that ritual magic yeah. going on. Maybe right. maybe there's a good market of animal True. blood. Um. <laughs> But 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 they don't have toothpaste. Like that's that's too far. Mm-hmm. That's going too far. Um, yeah, come on, come on, Neo. He calls, yeah. he calls him Neo. <laughs> like the um, Matrix. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and then okay, so then he bumps into Willow there. Um, we're kind who's of who's also over. there to get blood. <laughs> Yeah, of course. There has to be a thriving market for this in Sunnydale. Like, this is probably, like, a significant portion of their market. Um, That's hilarious. Seems to me. Um, Yeah, Willow, who also needs blood, offers to kill Anya. That doesn't, you know, uh, end up panning out. Um, Which which is... Like, it takes Buffy a moment. She, like, considers it. Briefly, but she does consider it. Like, no. <laughs> um, probably not. Although, if we're joking about killing Anya, does that mean that Anya's back in the fold again? Like, the fact that that's even, like, a bit of a joke kind of maybe signals that it's, like, the relationship is somewhat repaired from where it was. Um... I don't know. Maybe not. Um, so yeah, but Willow runs into Andrew at the butcher shop and leads to a- another humorous confrontation. 
um, you know, of Willow, like, being intimidating, but not really. Um, and kind of walking that fine line between her, her scary villainous self, which we have seen, like, even since she's come back, there have been those moments of flashes of Dark Willow um, mm -hmm. towards other people. Like, I'm thinking of when she's in the frat house, right? And the, the girl is like, you know, she kind of goes into witch mode to get rid of the demon and the the girl who's there says something and Willow kind of gets scary and dark eyed for a moment. Um, that's not what she does here with Andrew. I guess Andrew doesn't really call for that sort of thing. Like you don't really need to go dark Willow when it's Andrew. Um, it can sure. be, I'm not to be trifled with insignificant man, you know, like the, the most, she doesn't have to try very hard to I, intimidate I, and bully him. I agree with that to an extent, but also I think, like, I think there's a big guilt factor going on. So, like, I think, I, I would say she's probably more aware of her reaction and... Holding hold, back. Ho holding back, yeah. Like, withholding sort of the... Because I think, like... So with the, the girl in the frat house, right? Like it was, it was kind of like she was surprised by the spider thing and the girl's like crying and there's like this whole like adrenaline sort mm -hmm. of thing going on. And I mean, seeing Andrew, like maybe there's a bit of surprise there, but it's not like the same like get your hackles up danger mm -hmm. kind of thing there so so like on what so i guess i would say like like yeah like there is that like she doesn't see him as the same sort of level of threat as mm -hmm. like you know a spider demon that rips people's hearts out but like at the same time i do think that she's kind of like like when she realizes who it is and like is chasing him there there's a certain amount of just like she's very aware of like how she should react and like I'm not going to rip your skin off is is definitely like in there because she wants to make sure that she doesn't, you know, do the thing that made her feel guilty when she killed Juan. Right. Um, so, yeah, so I, I don't mean to say that any of that is like disagreement with what you're saying, just sort of like in addition to mm -hmm. um, in addition to that. Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, I mean, and the other thing, the other thing too is Andrew's, I, I think we're still kind of learning about his motivations and what he knows or doesn't know or how he's been manipulated and everything, but he's trying to convince her of, you know, I'm not bad anymore. I'm good. I do good things now. Um, yeah. And I mean, but, he kind of, he, he, turns... he changes his tune, like, to try to intimidate of, of I'm bad and evil and I'm protected by forces you couldn't imagine a little girl. And then she kind of just pushes him against the wall. Right. Um, <laughs> stand down witch. And then she just kind of shoves him. Um, and I, but, but it plays into, so he's saying whatever to protect himself. Um. But we also have kind of heard stuff like that from Jonathan, too, about um, 
you know, sounding like they came back to help, maybe, like, to do something that they thought was the right thing. Um, you know, that was kind of an argument between them was, like, should we be letting Buffy know about this? Should we be working with Buffy and her friends? Should we not? Like, maybe we should do this first and then we can bring it to them and say, oh, look at this good thing we did, you know. Right. Um, now, Andrew was obviously, like, hiding things from Jonathan and, you know, but I don't know that Andrew isn't convinced that sacrificing Jonathan isn't part of some great good plan that he, that Warren is sort of guiding him to. Um, so it, it's, you know, does he even, you said he has very little mind and will of his own. Um, does he even have any sense of what side he's on? Right or wrong, does he even know what he thinks about what he's doing? You yeah. Know? Um, I, I mean, I think that's a good question. I, I sort of have my thoughts, but maybe we want to like keep an eye on that as like, cause like, I mean, he's now a prisoner of the Scooby gang, right? Like, right. so maybe, maybe we'll get to sort of see more about his thoughts and, and actions mm -hmm. going forward and, and can kind of keep an eye on those sorts of questions. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I guess I can see an argument either way. I, I do tend to think that, like, he knows it's not necessarily, like, good what mm -hmm. he's doing. But, like, I could see an argument of, like, yeah, maybe he's just being duped by Warren or, you know, what he thinks is Warren. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, is is kind of just trying to figure out, like how to redeem himself or whatever. Like I, I could see an argument being made there. Right. Or if not redeem, maybe doesn't think he needs redeeming. Like maybe thinks that what he's been doing all along is sort of, if not right, at least like along this path to glory that he's been being led this whole time. Um, yeah. But sure. We'll see. Um, in the meantime, he is um, with the Scoobies and uh, Xander and Anya play good cop, bad cop with trying to get information from him. Um, <laughs> yeah. You'll you get nothing out of me, Carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just such a weird way to think of, like, Xander as a character, like, Carpenter. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Yeah, that's... And that too also has like a almost biblical connotation to it too, doesn't it? Um, sure. Sure. Um, like it makes Xander's profession sound a little mythic to say, like mm -hmm. you know, he's the carpenter. Um, but I guess more so, um, it's Xander and Anya being paired up together and continuing to have like their old relationship sort of coming back out a little bit. Um, yeah. I mean, they the, the, the camaraderie and the flirtation and the, the working together and kind of enjoying each other um, is 
getting more and more prominent each episode, I think. Yeah. Um, and of course, Anya's the bad cop that she enjoys, like, <laughs> right. <laughs> playing hardball and slapping him around and making him cry. And, <laughs> and, but like, and also getting like too into it to where like she's slapping Xander and, right. You know, kind of apologizing on the side, but you can tell she's like kind of enjoying it too. Like, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. the the two of them are great as like good cop, bad cop. Uh I mean I don't think we need like there's I don't know if there's any of the specific things they ask him about. Like it's kind of all stuff we know already, like mm-hmm. um, so I don't know that there's much to talk about there, but um just kind of the interaction between all of them, um, I think is really good. And like <laughs> like I, I love when like like Xander's like telling the story of like you know how Anya like ripped a guy's heart out and this and, and like uh, you know obviously it's mm-hmm. them and like like Andrew's just kind of like oh yeah that that sounds bad you know like whatever and then he's like yeah and then like she ripped out his guts and like did this and that he's like oh, oh like or and it's like Xander kind of gets lost in his own you know story mm-hmm. and, um kind of their interaction there is all all funny but um yeah, I I mean, yeah, all all good stuff. Um, I don't know, I don't know that there's a lot there to unpack as far as like character stuff or whatever. Because yeah, again, it's like they're just trying to find out stuff that we as the viewers already know about. Sure. Um, and not to jump ahead too much, but just to kind of finish up with Andrew, um, the the fact that he you know is important at least for like what he knows if not important in himself um you mm-hmm. know the fact that spike is you know under control of certain things and 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 runs through a wall breaks through a wall to get at him you know that suddenly right. like this kind of idea that andrew is vitally important um or at least he has information that right that the the bad guys don't want to get out um so he becomes this like really vital clue i guess um what he knows so yeah yeah um okay so buffy and spike um so there's kind of like two like prisoner situations going on. One of them being Andrew, the other Spike, who I guess isn't quite like a prisoner. Like he's willing, like he's as behind this idea as anybody. And in fact, Spike yeah. is the one like at least at the, the start, right when he's at, not sort of being manipulated. Yeah, like when he's in his right mind, he is the one who, in a way, trusts himself the least. Um, like Buffy still there's things holding her back from completely um being as harsh with him as she could be or mm-hmm. um trusting him you know exactly as far as she can throw him um and he's the one trying to convince her in some ways to go all the way with that and completely not trust him at all um, which, you know, 
he's not entirely in his right mind as we've seen. And over the course of the episode, he gets more and more sort of out of control. So that kind of like from pretty early on, whenever it is that Spike starts hanging around more and coming into the house and they don't change the, you know, the blood rituals to keep him out of the house. Like that's right. what we, we've been kind of yelling at the screen this whole time is Buffy's refusal to ever completely treat Spike like the danger that he is. Yeah. Well, and, and that continues. That's been from the beginning and it, it, even before there was any sort of romantic relationship, that was the case. Um, right. And yeah, right. Way back when Spike is sitting on the couch and, you know, talking to Joyce and saying, right. oh, re remember, I was the guy with the axe. Yeah. Get away from my right. daughter. Right. Right. Um, Our, that whole scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Which so and, and there's some stuff that like they kind of the conversation a little bit picks up on her conversations with dead people where it's about like blaming all that on Buffy's kind of twisted psychology of what the Slayer is and the fact that like Spike is kind of saying as um this is all about the the suffering and the pain and mm. that she needs these things in her relationships he puts a slightly different spin on it that like it's not just about her being kind of a masochistic sort of weirdo but it's more about like he kind of frames it as you need it as your job you need it to do your job as the slayer um mm. kind of as though there's like a certain anger that needs to be fueled that like could you really be the the slayer if you weren't reacting in 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 pain to something um whether it's even if it's just yourself or hmm. your relationships or the people around you or whatever it is, like you need some motivation to go out there and kill things. Um, and maybe that's one way that Buffy gets it is to have these painful relationships with guys who only cause her suffering. Um, it's one theory, but sure. And what, um, was it he says one time, like, you need a little monster in your man, right? Like, mm, that right. there's, yeah, I mean, I know you're talking about it more, like, as to her calling, even than just the relationship aspect, but there is that kind of, like. Right, there's also the question of, like, what's she drawn to, yeah. apart from whatever she needs to do her job. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think, is there anything else in those conversations that kind of needs to be pulled out as like significant sort of character revelations there? No, I mean, I mean, it, it's kind of it, it, a little, it, a little more of the same of, of Buffy and Spike sort of 
this kind of pit of self-loathing that they're both sort of <laughs> trapped in. Sure. Um, it's, right. Who loathes themselves more? Right. Right. And that's kind of been the theme of the, their more than just this season, like even going back into the previous season of, of the way their relationship has gone. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's like the comment from Spike about like, oh, I didn't realize like that you actually hated yourself when we were having sex all the time. And it's like, really? Like you're just realizing that now? Like, Mm -hmm. um, so there's a little bit of like maybe lack of self-awareness on Spike's part, but also like, that's kind of him in love. Like that was true with Drusilla in a way too. Like I, you know, I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily like a change in Spike's character that like, he isn't Mm -hmm. always wholly like he's more about the idea of love than like maybe the Mm -hmm. specifics. And, and, and maybe that even goes back to William, the bloody awful poet, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, with Cecily, aka Halfrick, like that that there's a a bit of uh, lack of self awareness in in the poetry, and it's like it, it's more about him writing, you know, poetry to express his feelings, but but it's the poetry that's the focus rather than the subject or or the person mm-hmm. he's writing it to um which it seems like if you're in love with someone that that should be the the focal point and then the poetry flows from that right like rather than the other way around um i don't anyway mm-hmm. kind of went a little further afield there but i feel like there's yeah that lack of self-awareness i i'm feeling honest with myself well that's like with Spike, that's not always true, right? Like, mm. there's there's a bit of... Like, even the times where he has, like, really good insights, like, you know, I maybe loves bitch, but at least I'm man enough to admit it. Like, there's, like, those kind of moments. But then it's, like, he always gets so dejected and hurt by love. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, literally every relationship that happens. So what does that mean? Like, like how, how much are you really being honest with yourself? How much do you really understand the level to which you are love's bitch? Um, Right. If that makes sense. Right. If you don't learn anything from it. Right. Um, If it, it, it doesn't affect his behavior going forward. It doesn't change his approach to anything. Um, so yeah, I don't, I mean, again, there's like, they talk about stuff we already know about, such as like him getting, you know, his soul and he says he does, he wasn't like aware that his chip wasn't working anymore, which I mean, we knew that it wasn't working. I guess now we know that he didn't really know it wasn't working. It was but like, I mean, that's sort of, you could extrapolate that anyway from the fact that he was sort of being controlled by the first. 
Mm-hmm. Um, right, because it it's still working sometimes, right? Because doesn't it seems doesn't, to be like he felt pain when he punched Xander out to like leave the apartment. Right. So is it's like seems like it's only when he's under the control, right? Of so the maybe there's that, like a there's mystical, some, right. you know, reason for it not working, right? Or or because he's not aware of what he's doing, it doesn't trigger the the pain response or something. Sure. Um. So there, yeah, there is some. It, it the chip isn't completely gone, but it's not stopping him from doing the things he's doing while he's sort of under the influence. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Um uh so yeah, I I mean I mean with Spike it there's, you know, I guess um, so you know, we talked about like him getting free and trying to bite uh Andrew. Mm-hmm. Um but there's also kind of the same problem from from the first perspective with Spike himself of like if he starts remembering things, like he'll know stuff about what's going on and and might be able to tell Buffy things about the enemy too. So like I guess leading into sort of the attack on the house by the harbingers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't know if you want to start there or if you want to start with like the first itself as like an entity. I guess I'm I'm not quite um, sure where we should begin. Well, I mean, I guess let's talk about the attack and then Buffy's sort of revelation, huh? As uh <laughs> Sure. you know, relates to that. Um, cause I think the attack is fairly straightforward. Like it's, you know, yeah, yeah. the the kind of action climax and everything of, um, the, the robed figures coming in and, and seemingly attacking the group, but really it's, it's kind of a fake out. They're really just after spike the whole time. Right. Um, well, and, and again, which... like just to, just like Andrew turns out to be kind of secretly important, not that they didn't know Spike was important, but they didn't realize that he was like the target of this right. of this ambush. Um, and I guess getting him away does accomplish two things. One, it keeps him quiet, and it also they end up using him in the the blood magic ritual at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a few different ways, and then now they have him. So I guess he's even easier to manipulate. Uh, sure. Should they want to do that, so. And it's accomplishes a lot of things and and unable to fight with Buffy, right? Like, right? You know, on her side, right? Um, which you know, other than Buffy, like he's probably the strongest fighter, you know, direct, mm-hmm. you, you know, physical fighter. I mean, there's also Willow. So, um, I did read something. I I forget where. Might have just been on Wikipedia or whatever. Um, where like. The writers basically were like, okay, last season we spent this whole season about showing how powerful, like, Willow is. Mm -hmm. So, like, they keep sort of having to contrive, like, ways for her to not be in fights to, like, just simply win all the fights with everyone. So, like, this one, she gets knocked out, like, pretty much right away, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they come in, knock her out, and it's like, okay, well... We don't have to worry about Willow like overshadowing 
the others um, while sure. they're fighting and that kind of thing. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess I mean, we I could... I feel like they could also talk, if they wanted to, they could also go the route of, like you were saying earlier, her holding back to a certain extent of being still fearful of her own power and everything. Yeah. Um, like, I wouldn't expect her from a character point of view to necessarily just go Dark Willow right. at, at, at a moment's notice. Just that she would be very careful about how and when she uses her full power. Yeah. But Well, um, and so what I was going to say is like, maybe we can just keep an eye on that from like here on out just to see like if that right. becomes a pattern or if Willow starts to get like knocked out before every fight, yeah. like Giles, then right. Yeah. <laughs> like, She'll wake up in a coma. Wake up, um, in, wake up in a coma. What? Um. Yeah. So. Um. But yeah, I mean, right. I agree. Like the the actual fight, like you know, you get Don kind of stepping up again, right? Like mm -hmm. she's she does some uh, fighting of her own, and and maybe isn't entirely effectual, but is at least like brave and and mm -hmm. you know th this goes this is my again like my continued defense of dawn as a character like right she's not as useless and annoying as she's always made out to yeah. be yeah yeah um or or frequently made out to be i guess i should say um and yeah so i mean it it is a ruse to get spike um and then Buffy realizes, like, hey, I've seen these guys before, right? Like, yeah, they're harbingers of the first. Mm -hmm. um, so my question to you is, um, one, before this episode, had did you have any guess as to, like... Not, not that specific, no. Okay. I mean, I think I remember saying something like, like, oh, this is, like, the ultimate incarnation of evil kind of yeah. thing. Just the, my impression from the the way it was being sort of set up. But yeah. I didn't go anywhere as specific as remembering the first from whatever episode that was. That well, I that was going to be now. my next question is, do you remember where we saw the first before and kind of the situation and all of that? Well, why um, don't why don't you review that with I, us? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy sure to. I could use the reminder. Uh, so, it's been a while. <laughs> so, uh, quite a while, four seasons uh, to be exact, um, and in fact, almost exact because it's it's season four, episode ten, um, which is or sorry, season three, episode ten, uh, which is amends the Christmas episode, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and if you remember, so like. Uh, you remember like there was the whole like the Christmas trees were like dying and there was like this whole like underground thing and, and it was the bringers who were there doing mm -hmm. their ritual to bring the first um, and and it appeared uh, to Buffy um, and Angel actually more, more so to Angel um, and like it used various forms and in that instance like you know for example one of the it, it appeared to angel as like former victims of his mm -hmm. uh one of which was jenny calendar mm. um and so you get that 
similar sort of connection here, like even with like Jonathan and Andrew, right? Or or Spike and like, you know, maybe not victims, but like, you know, using people who have died to sort of manipulate and, and cause guilt. And um, even like with Cassie, like, I mean, we talked about how that was supposed to be Tara originally, but like, Mm-hmm. with Cassie and Willow like like using these personalities to try to manipulate and um you know get people to do what they do and that, and that was i mean that was kind of what amends was centered around with regard to angel mm-hmm. um and so in that um i just wanted to pull up some of our notes from from that episode so in that we um uh we get Giles saying um the first shall speak only in riddles. And then um, about the bringers, uh, they're the harbingers of death. Nothing shall grow above or below them. No seed shall flower, neither in man nor whatever. And then it kind of cuts out and he says, they're rebels and they'll never be any good. Nothing uh, nothing specific about their haunts as far as like, you know, they were looking for them. Um, but kind of the, um, uh, you know, they, they talk about... Um, there, there was a note that you made in in the notes for that episode that says, in a way, the first evil is the ultimate big bad, which underlies all the other bads. Oh, um, see. And, and so that was that was very uh, pre- premonitionous of you. Um, I don't know what the right noun form of that um, would be, but uh, or or smart. I think smart is the okay. Word sure, um, we'll give you that. Um, so, uh, one of the other interesting sort of parallels, um, from that episode though, is, is actually from what Andrew says. And, uh, when, you know, we talked about how him, he and Willow sort of had their little confrontation and he says, um, I'm protected by powerful forces, forces you can't even begin to imagine, little girl. If you harm me, you shall know the wrath of he that is darkness and terror. Um, and from amends the episode um the first i don't i don't know what character he was manifesting as at this point but the first says uh i am something that you can't even conceive i am the thing that darkness fears so just mm-hmm. like the parallel there of forces you can't even imagine if you harm me you'll you know the wrath of he that is darkness and terror and and kind of the sim- very similar sort of description there um and then there's also the, um, in this episode, you get Warren as, you you know, the first, or the first as Warren, saying, you know the rules, I can't take corporeal form. And then you get, uh, in the amends episode, you get Buffy's sort of frustration at the incorporealness of the first. Um, mm-hmm. And she has that, that somewhat quotable line of, find me something I can pummel right like mm-hmm. that there's mm-hmm. very that there's a frustration to this idea of like pure evil that doesn't like it's it's an idea it's right. it's a sharing of information and you know uh uh yeah ideas there that doesn't have a you know a body that you can you know stake or chop its head off or whatever like right. um so yeah right killing one incarnation or one aspect of it doesn't it can't ever solve the problem of evil 
Right. Like it's always going to extend beyond right. that. Right. And so that's kind of what it becomes is that it's, it is this like, I mean, you say incarnate, but it's not even really incarnate because it doesn't have a body, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's just evil. It's just this manifestation or, or whatever um, that prompts people to do things, but, but prompts them by using their own fears and their own, uh, sins or or mistakes mm-hmm. or whatever against them um so so buffy realizes this and mm-hmm. you know after the harbingers come in and and fight them and then leave with spike um she says i know these guys i fought them before We're, we aren't being haunted this isn't some demon it's all the same thing spike's ghosts the people you guys saw from beneath us it's all the same thing i know what we're up against the first um, and then, like, immediately, like, well, there's a cut, so maybe there was a commercial break in the original. But um, it, it cuts to London, where you have, you know, the Watchers and Quentin Travel uh, Travers uh, going through, like, sort of all of the, like, triaging the damage that has been done, apparently, to the Watcher network. Mm-hmm. Um, and And he sort of confirms that, right? The first evil has declared all-out war on this institution. Uh, their first volleys proved most effective. Um, and then, of course, a few minutes later, they become part of that. Uh, they mm-hmm. become casualties in that very same war as uh, right. the, the the Watcher corner office kind of gets blown up there. Right. And taking, not that they've been the most useful or reliable allies thus far but still like there's a lot of resources that the the watchers council brings with them that seemingly get kind of wiped yeah you know maybe not every single watcher is down but like the central yeah hub of command is like kind of taken out and so buffy is you know that's a that's a huge blow just in terms of information to her Sure. Um, that, you know, who can she appeal to for any sort of help yeah. um, outside um, of the immediate circle of friends? Right. So, yeah, the, the question, I guess, too, that I would pose is, so what does that mean for Giles? Because so earlier in the episode, you get excuse me, you get Buffy calling Quentin mm-hmm. to ask about Giles, right? And he's basically like, we don't know where he is. Like, he he left us. So last week we had talked about, like, okay, is this, um, you know, man and, and young woman who get attacked by the bringers, are they you know, related, you know, to the Watcher's Council somehow. Like, is this a Watcher and Slayer or, you know, Mm -hmm. potential Slayer situation? Um, But it seems like maybe it's not because, like, the Watchers don't seem to know about Giles. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, Giles certainly seems to know about, um, and I I chided you last week for sort of good-naturedly not knowing the names and now i'm blanking on the names of the um <laughs> nora nora was the girl's name and i forget uh 
Ro Robeson, Nora, Nora and Robeson, um, just came to me. And so, uh, you know, Nora and Robeson uh, are sort of hiding out in this apartment, but like, it's not clear that they're necessarily part of the Watcher network. Like, like Giles seems not to be anymore. So maybe mm -hmm. these are other, like not quite, well, maybe rogue is the right word. Like, like I was going to say, maybe not quite rogue like Wesley, um, but like, like maybe they are sort of rogue watcher, you know, stuff going on. And if so, like, I don't know, does that imply anything? Like, I, I guess I would throw it to you just to see, like, if you have any thoughts there about what might be going on. Yeah, honestly, that hadn't occurred to me. I, I took him saying we, we need to find Rupert Giles as, I don't know why I I leapt to the assumption, which I realize is always dangerous. Um, that like this is after the cliffhanger that we saw. So Giles is missing after that incident, and we need to find him. Um, it hadn't occurred to me that maybe he was off the grid before that even happened. Like so, before we even get to sure him finding his dead, you know, uh. Or, or dying people in the apartment there that maybe he's already gone incommunicado with, with the Watchers Council. Well, and, and in fairness, I mean, I may be making assumptions too. Like, my the, the assumption, well, not maybe, I am making an assumption. The assumption I'm making is that Giles left the Watchers long ago, back in, like, season, what, four? Mm -hmm. Right? So, like, like they 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 refer to him as you know not being a part of their fold, and so I sure. guess the assumption is just that that yeah, like he hasn't been in contact with them for years at this point. Gotcha. And right. and that's the assumption that I would make. But I mean, you're right. Like it could be that maybe he maybe he did come back and we're like we don't really know much about what he has been doing in England. And this is always the problem with the Watchers is they don't share anything so like they're so cryptic and the girl knows nothing we need to find Rupert right. Giles how about you tell the girl what's going on because she's the slayer right. you know like maybe he, he's acting ignorant when he's not sure you know well, like he knows more than Buffy knows but he's not sharing and, and that's kind of the paternalistic right. uh, uh, and patriarchal like setup of of the whole watcher system to begin with of right i'll i'll give you the information you know if, if i don't give you information it's to keep you safe and i'll only give you information if it will when you, you know, need it yeah yeah when you need it or when when it'll keep you safe or whatever right or when i determine that you can handle it or right. or that the timing is right or whatever it is um yeah. um even though they're clearly worried and know things are going wrong sure. and that they don't, they need Giles and they don't know where he is. Um, and it's the war is starting and the first blows have been struck and it's time to strike back. And it's all this sort of stuff about now is the time for the sharing of information, which they don't get to because right. the headquarters gets blown up. Right. You waited so um, stinking long right. <laughs> that you got blown up before you could right. share it. 
Right. We'll be paying a visit to the Hellmouth. Nope. So there's the information they never shared and the help they never sent to Buffy. Um, sort of gone in one one fell swoop. So um not good and I don't know what if they'd found Giles, what would they have told him or asked him to do or asked him to pass on to Buffy? We don't know any of that. Um so Okay, um, Principal Wood. Yeah. Speaking of characters who continue to be cryptic and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, kind of teased over the course of episodes, um, we get a little scene with him at the beginning, um, yeah. Not sure how much to read into that or not. It's him kind of intimidating some students, um, you know, and, and maybe it is kind of there to make him seem a little more formidable. Like he, he kind of does the good cop thing of playing like I'm your buddy. I'm the nice cool principal. Um, but there's a real, you know, steeliness in the way he kind of makes his threats known of like, mm -hmm. it's a lot of work to call your parents so much easier to just call the cops, you know, like that kind of, it's not duplicitous, but there's a slight sneakiness to the way he goes about it. He doesn't just come out and sort of tell them, this is what I'm going to do. He sort of makes threats and implications and lets the kids sort of figure it out. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, I suppose that could be kind of showing that he is a more strategic chess player than, you know, he's been shown to be so far. Um, cause he has just seemed like the cool, nice guy principal, at least on the surface. Um, so sh showing that he knows how to manipulate. I guess. Sure. Um, and then uh, he finds Jonathan's body and buries it. So that's even more worrying. <laughs> you know? Like, doesn't really, I mean, we don't really get, he's not with anybody, so we don't really get, like, dialogue expressing his thoughts. Um, but, like, that's not the action of somebody who is completely shocked to find a dead person in their school basement. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. So, I mean, is this, do you think this is like him? Do you think it's a spike thing where like he doesn't, where maybe he's being right. manipulated? Influenced like, like, or... like, I don't just, I mean, Hard, hard to say, I guess, but do you have a thought or a sense one way or the other? <clears throat> um, I mean, it is always that thing of trying to outguess the writers, and I'm not great at that. You know, I, I mean, sure. I do think, like, scenes like the one I was just mentioning are there to kind of lead you down this path of, like, 
becoming more suspicious of him of mm-hmm. seeing like okay he's more he, there's more going on under the surface than what he lets on but is that just the red herring that's there to make you think he's sneaky when really um he could be sneaky but on the good side you know like he could be it could be that these things we're learning about him are true just not in the way that we think they are um sure so you know i so, so i don't know really it, is it, the answer it, it doesn't look great to like find bodies in your basement and bury them so i guess at this point the the it's looking like whether he's manipulated or under the influence or not, I'm not quite sure, but he's maybe not working on the side of good, but it, I don't know. Ignoring all of those motive types of things, just kind of heuristically speaking, do you do you send do do you have a good feeling or a bad feeling about him? I don't mean like how he looks, like I know he's hot, but like like <laughs> Like, do you, do you, do you get like, you know, a sense that he's on the good side or the bad side? Just kind of like gut feeling. I'm just curious. I'm, there's no wrong answer here. I'm just trying to see what, what your thought is at this point. Like, or is he just so inscrutable that you don't even want to like, he's a bit inscrutable. I feel like they're working. A bit hard to make him look suspicious, which makes me want to go the other way. Like my my instinct is telling me that there's a fake out here, and that he's 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 suspiciously secretly, suspicious. Yeah, which makes him not suspicious. He's he's I think <laughs> secretly maybe he's team good guy, but but that's because like all the signs keep pointing towards like you know secret villain yeah so, i mean the, the other if thing i that, was a if, going with my gut if i was a betting person that's where i would put my chips down that he's on the good side yeah ultimately now but maybe ulti- ultimately maybe maybe being manipulated in the way that spike is but maybe sure. as a person as a like you know his motivations um, um to the extent that he's even aware of any sort of fight between good and evil, which isn't well, even entirely sure that he is. But. Well, so I was going to say, though, like, <coughs> remember that he, like, knew who Buffy was and uh, said that he had done his research, right? Like, <clears throat> about Sunnydale and, and Sunnydale High and all of that. So, right. I mean... Is this like right. another like Principal Snyder situation where maybe he does have a little more access to knowledge than we're giving him credit for, too? And that seems like that to me seems like a a, a, a check in favor of of being on the good side. That like you know. It could be a trap for Buffy, but really, Buffy being at the Hellmouth can only be a good thing. Um, having her on as a school counselor to help struggling students that are in need of guidance 
and also being in the place of the source of ultimate evil to stop the impending apocalypse, those can only be good things, you know? Um, and I guess that could be some plan of the bad guys that backfires, but like that seems like two very, that's a very strong case that Principal Wood is acting in the best interest of, you know, of Buffy and of Sunnydale and the world and everything. Mm. So, um, yeah, if that's his intention, then like, it's hard to see how that is, um, you know, can be anything but a positive result. So if I'm guessing that that's an intentional move on his part, that whatever his research is, he did it and he decided to bring Buffy here. I'm going to say that's in his favor as a good guy. All right. It's not a keeping your enemies closer kind of thing. No, and I'm saying, like, it could be. I could see that and, like, would buy that. But, um. Sure. But that's not where my, that's not where I'm putting my, my bet down. Fair enough. Um, okay. Uh, hey, we're only one minute over, so we've got a couple more. We can wrap up. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I think we can, we kind of touched on it anyway. The, the fact that Spike's blood is, you know, used for the ritual. Um, yeah. So killing several birds, you know, uh, at, at once by kidnapping him. Um, mm -hmm. And so the, the sacrifice sort of finally works and out of it comes this like scary uber vampire that kind of looks sort of master-ish. It's, it's not the master, I don't think, but it sort of reminds me of that, of like, some sort of sure. vampire that's like way more monstrous than the normal breed of vampire. Has almost like this sort of Nosferatu. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, so, and yeah. So, and you get the first as Buffy saying like, right. you know, time to meet like a real vampire, like a true vampire. Right. right? Like, or do you right. want to see like what a true vampire looks like? Something like that. I right. forget the exact word. Um, yeah, so you said Uber Vampire. I'll I'll reveal then they actually that's what they call this is the Uber oh. Vamp. Like oh. like that it's that's uh I don't I think they use that in the show actually, but that's certainly I don't think I knew that. Not, not <laughs> I think I just not a lucky in, guess. I don't think they use it in this episode because like gotcha. you only see it right at the end. But like I believe in the show they actually call it like the Uber Vamp or or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, this is supposed to be like the true form of a vampire, like a, you know, without the sort of half human, you know, uh, yeah, component to it. Um, I mean, we'll we'll get more about it, so I don't want to go too far down that road. Um, mm -hmm. Quick note though about the actor: Does the actor look familiar? <laughs> um you may have seen him in such or such uh 
costumes as Narl and one oh. of one one of the gentlemen. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Camden Toy is the actor, um, and yeah, this is now the third time that he's uh, appeared um, in, you know, mm-hmm. encased in a <laughs> some sort of demon demonic. Uh, uh costume um and actually he'll he'll eventually appear on angel as well <laughs> um but i mean only only mentioning that because like there is a sort of similarity between uh i don't i don't know which of the gentlemen he is but like you could probably figure it out like based mm-hmm. on the m- look of gnarl and the look of of this uber vamp and mm-hmm. um and again, and again, we'll see him later on in Angel. So, um, just just to bring that up because it's always kind of fun when you see these people sort of being, you know, sort of having these niche roles in the show that are maybe mm-hmm. not as uh, prominent as like some of the actors who we've seen, you know, crossover and that kind of thing. Right. Right. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, so again, we're sort of in the mid- middle of our spate of Buffy episodes. So we'll have another episode uh, of Buffy next week. And perhaps we'll see Giles or perhaps we won't. I don't know. I'm just saying maybe one way or the other. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and, and we also, good news is, oh, wait, are we doing, so, uh, sorry, uh, should have checked this. I had the, Mm. uh, the episode order. Are we doing anything between the, the mid-season stuff for BSG? Thank you for for reminding me. Are there webisodes? There are webisodes. So here's, I'm... I made this executive decision, so this is what we're doing. Okay. The webisode, this is totally forgot to talk about this, so I'm glad you brought this up. Um, there are webisodes, and they actually were in between the two seasons, so they were broadcast like a month or so before the second half started. But chronologically, when you watch them, they don't quite take place quite yet. Like in the story... Um, they take place between the next episode and the following episode. So um, even though they were broadcast in the gap, I think we should wait and do them as they work in the story. Um, So, um, so my plan was for us to do uh, um, episode 13, sometimes a great notion next, and then do the webisodes, which I feel like we can do an episode, even if we go short on them, when you play them all together, I think they run about a half an hour. So it's like almost the size of a normal episode. Sure. So I'd rather do that than like tack them on to the end of another episode and only give them like 30 seconds. Um, I think it's substantial enough to give it some time. And then if we go short, we go short, but I'd rather like do it justice so that makes sense to um, me 
so yeah, we'll do we'll do the next episode next, and then follow it up with the webisodes the following week. Sounds good. All right. See you then. Mm -hmm.